Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and for this week, I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Scott, and we go through a really fun topic of choosing our top 10 new Overland SUVs. So we go through all of the really credible platforms in the North American market. This is not an international list. It's intended for North American uh, available vehicles. Some of these vehicles are available in other markets or they're available in similar variants in other markets. But we have a really fun conversation of who ends up where and why, uh, some of the pros and cons of each. Uh, We really dig into the nitty gritty and uh, make sure to express our opinions around the things that we're concerned about or the things that we really love. So please enjoy my conversation with Matt Scott on the top 10 new Overland SUVs. And a special thanks to Kuat Racks for their support of this week's podcast. Their new Ibex has landed. It's actually overlanded. This groundbreaking bed rack is effortlessly handling substantial loads both on and off the grid. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, it boasts a ballistic black powder coat made for all the nature you can throw at it. It's available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, and it's equipped with telescoping crossbars. Numerous T-channels and a versatile full and half-height configuration right out of the box. This is the Ibex from Kuat. It is engineered for adventure. For more details, please visit kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this bed rack. Matt, we are... Finally back together here on the podcast, which is good. You're not gallivanting around the world. (laughs) Oh, it's Africa has been so wonderful. It just like it it is. It is so a part of my soul right now that I just I'm grateful for every chance that I get to go there. And and traveling through Tanzania was wonderful. And traveling through Kenya was wonderful. And so far, the Grenadier has been flawless, like not a single failure. So I'm excited. I'm I'm excited you know, keep hoping for, for the best. It's got such potential for sure. And today we're going to talk about overland vehicles. So we have done a podcast on the top 10 used overland vehicles. But never the top 10 new overland Yes. Vehicles. So these are going to be, this is going to be the top 10, our top 10 list for four-wheel drive SUVs that you can buy in North America. We will likely do another one. That you can at- buy new. That's right. Yeah. And I think the one caveat is that there there's a few models that maybe should be on the list, but they have a replacement that is so imminent yeah. that maybe even by the time this podcast is available, you probably couldn't even buy one. That's right. Um, there'll be a new model. So. And and they would be the other criteria. We we're fortunate that we're able to test all of the vehicles on the market, but like for example, the new GX is coming out. It's imminent. We we're gonna be at the press launch. But we have not driven the vehicle yet. We've seen it in person. Yeah. Tons of things to love about it. But we really can't recommend it in the top 10 because we haven't tested it yet. So you can kind of use that uh, as a gauge. Uh, but the Lexus GX, the new one, and the new Land Cruiser are both going to be formidable considerations for this list. Very much would be at the top of it. Yeah. very. They'd be yeah pushing towards the top of the list. So we need to have that little qualifier around there. Um, it certainly doesn't mean that Toyota isn't well represented on the list that we have. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're going to, we're going to start with 
number 10 and we're going to work our way up to number one so we can have a bit of a drum roll and uh people can maybe think about models that wouldn't have normally been on their lists by by some you know covering some of these ones towards the eight nine ten range so we we matt and i talked at length about this we were originally going to maybe have two different lists but then we actually just worked it out together which i think was a really good exercise and i think we agree on it we do now yeah now like we're we're like we're like yeah that feels like the top 10 list so number 10 on the list um it hurts me a little bit to say it but number 10 on the list is the land rover defender the 130 in particular um and it's so difficult to talk about it because i love the defender 130 i think it's a great vehicle Every time I've ever driven one, it has completely exceeded my expectations, but it's really difficult to, to recommend the vehicle actively to people when they're still struggling with so many reliability issues. You know, yeah. Let's talk about some of the positives, right? Um, it's, it's phenomenal on road. Yeah. It is really great off road. And, and when you kind of consider that mix of on-road and off-road you know you're kind of deviating from center and that the defender just goes so far and in either direction like it's very good on road um it's it's a hoot to drive at speed off-road um it's very capable you know in slow speed technical terrain i love the interior just like my favorite interior my favorite interior on a vehicle ever you just get in you throw your stuff you know, just like yeah. you would in a regular Defender, you have this huge kind of like dash parcel tray. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, the interior is great. The front end is uh, hideous. Uh, so just don't look at it. You know, don't park in front of one of those windows that's that, that has like the, <laughs> the, the reflection thing. Because you're just going to see what Jerry McGovern thinks an off-road vehicle should look like. But every other angle is really, really nice. Um, but you can't get around the fact that Land Rover as a brand is still dealing with issues that other car companies haven't dealt with reliability wise for 20 years. Um, you know, there's JD power, which yeah. we looked up to, to verify for 2023 Land Rover is the least reliable ve- major vehicle brand sold in the United States. Yeah. Lexus is at the top of that. Um, you know, almost a two to one spread, uh, uh, between Lexus and and Land Rover, and you can't. Yeah, so you have a two hundred percent more likelihood of your Land Rover having a problem than a Lexus. So. And you know, there's the diehard Land Rover fans that bought, you know, the Defender and and are enthusiastic about it. I mean, to be clear, like Scott and I are kind of are both in this because of Land Rover. Like we love the Land Rover brand, um, and I love the car. Yeah, it's I just, mean, we sit here with a Defender behind us. That's right. Um, we're recommending vehicles based on this list. So we have to be really transparent about yeah. the realities of things. I would drive a Defender 130 gladly. Like yeah. I would enjoy it and I wouldn't worry about the reliability. I've owned a lot of Land Rovers. Yeah. So it doesn't bother me. And it's all part of the adventure for me. But if I'm going to recommend a car to someone, they need to know that there's still a lot of challenges. That yeah. It's, dealing with. it's just like if you were a company that historically had struggled with electronics, do you think that you would do an electrically supercharged, turbocharged, mild hybrid engine? Yeah. Like, like don't do that. Yeah. Like take a little bit out of the Toyota book. Yeah. Like don't be ancient like Toyota is with some other platforms, but um, mm, yeah, 
It's yeah. on the list because it has great payload. It has a huge roof load capacity, That's dynamic right. roof capacity. Um, and it's a wonder to drive. I yeah. mean, when you and I drove them in Namibia, the 110, fantastic. I drove the, the 130 and the 90 in the UAE recently, um, out to the, to the border with Oman. The 90 fantastic. is so cool. Yeah, you, can get a, you can get a V8 in the 90. I know. It's insane. It's insane. It's the, the Defender 90 for me, it, like it's one of those cars where I just randomly think I would like to buy a Defender 90 because it would be yeah. a super fun, you know, daily driver. And we talk about like these classic, like a Range Rover classic or an early discovery. The new Defender 90 has a two inch longer wheelbase than those cars. It is easy to dismiss this thing as being too small, yeah. but it's actually as big as it's, all of those early, like super sought after it's, it's Land super Rovers. Cool. It's, you know, the, I like it. The Defender is like a vehicle that will put a smile on your face yep. right up until the point when the motor goes poof. Yeah. Because unfortunately, I have, I have two friends that have bought them that are not on their first engine. Yeah. And it's just when you have that, like, that real world connection, yeah. it's really hard to um, ignore. Yeah. So if you're not concerned about reliability and you want a super cool vehicle, Take a look at the Defender 130. It's certainly something that I have, I've been very impressed with in its performance. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So now number nine on the list, and this is the first of the Toyota products that we're going to cover and a lot of representation on Toyota on the list, but this is the Lexus LX 600. So the, the LX 600 is a new platform. I've driven these vehicles extensively. And they're based upon the the Land Cruiser 300, this global, this FG platform. So it is a Land Cruiser uh, by all by all measures, including a lot of the engines that would overlap, just like previous versions of the LX did. Yeah. The LX 100, the LX 80, the LX 200. Those were all uh, vehicles that were very very similar to a Land Cruiser. This is as close as we get to a Land Cruiser in the United States. And this is a full J series, heavy duty Land Cruiser platform. It is number nine on the list because we, we just aren't seeing aftermarket support yet. We're also, there's some challenges with the ground clearance on the vehicle, particularly on the front, the approach angle. And um, it's also very expensive. Uh, so if you have, if you want the most reliable and luxurious and actually very unique because they're almost impossible to buy and still surprisingly capable. Like the Lexus LX is, is kind of a wonder in its, in its own right. It is also the ugliest vehicle on the list. Like it's, it's actually, <laughs> you think so? uh, it's actually uglier than the front end of the Defender. I just, I personally really dislike it. The, I don't the, know. the design language is obviously changing with the forthcoming GX model, yeah. which I think is one of the best looking. Best SUVs. looking. Yeah, um, for sure. But all these little, you know, horizontal fins and I just, yeah, eh, I don't yeah, like it's it. A, it's a really big grill and that compromises the ability to modify the vehicle with the aftermarket. So if we're going to take a vehicle like an LX 600, which is something you could drive around the world, it's designed to do that, but then you can't put on things like front animal strike protection. You can't install a winch easily. Uh, some people have made some attempts, but there just really is not aftermarket Yeah, like you end up with these very like weird kind of like rock crawlery, yeah. not sure what they're trying to be bumpers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it's tough. And 
So you've got an incredible platform, but you really have some limitations around the aftermarket support of what you would need to go overlanding with it. Yeah. And you just spent 130 grand on the thing. So like if it, so absolutely phenomenal vehicle. If you want the most reliable family hauler, that's, you know, luxurious and will never break down on you. But when we're talking about buying an overland vehicle, especially comparing it to what's coming out with the new GX, the, the, the LX ends up lower on the list. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So then above that is kind of the opposite, but same category. So extreme luxury um, in the, in the, in the, well, extreme signaling in the G wagon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, you know, there is, there is definitely luxury to it. I I love the G wagon. So, so number eight is the, uh, quite specifically the G 550 G 63, um, actually for this generation. So there is the W463 that was sold in the United States from early 2000s to 2018. 2019 came around and uh, the vehicle was completely refreshed. It has independent front suspension, which a lot of people at the time were like, oh, yeah. Well, if you've ever driven a G Wagon, they have no suspension travel. (laughs) That's right. Um, So now you wasn't a downside. Now you have a G Wagon that can boogie. Um, You know, it actually has some flex and travel in the rear. Still has a front locker, though. Yeah, still, yeah, yeah, triple locked. And it's, you know, from my experience, they're very well made, you know. Extremely well made. Made in Austria by Magna Stair. Um, And the cool thing for... And you and I have both owned land, you know, both owned G-Wagons and we've loved them. For 2022, you can get uh, kind of a watered down professional pack so you can actually get the genuine mercedes roof rack you can get the genuine mercedes brush guard um comes with a 18 inch wheel with an all-terrain tire there's a lot of advantages to the g-wagon um but they're very expensive and there's no way around it like it is the it's the 911 of off-road you know i believe the starting price is around one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars. but then when you it, and that's not with that professional pack with no, all the racks. Is, I mean, uh, I bet you the rack is ten grand. I, I think it's a twenty thousand dollar option. <laughs> oh my gosh! But like, yeah. here's the thing with the G wagon, though, is they just depreciate on a on a different time scale. There's so much demand for them, and not only in the U.S., but a lot of the one of the things that keeps G wagons very uh, uh, desirable in the aftermarket is that they can get exported to any country in the world. You know, we lose a lot of G-Wagons in the United States after they get driven for a couple of years, they'll get exported, um, keeps the prices very high on them. You know, if you can find a 2019 G-Wagon now, so we're selling 2024 model years, so that's five years old. Yeah. They are still selling for MSRP with 40, 50,000 miles on them. So it is very expensive, but when you look at that total cost of ownership and then the depreciation, like, you know, let's compare it to a Grand Cherokee, which historically just like nosedives after yeah. a couple of years. <laughs> the the G Wagon may be more expensive to purchase, but it may not be more expensive to own. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's still you very still gotta reliable. go get a loan for hundred and thirty thousand yeah, dollars at eight percent interest right now. Yeah, so absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Do I think, not do that. Yeah. I think that I think that the G wagon is very much worth considering if you are looking at things like an LX 600 and other similarly or a Range Rover. If you're looking at similar priced vehicles, it's really important to go drive one. 
Uh, it's the longest, longest I ever owned a vehicle. I owned mine for 12 years and I loved it. So there's a lot to it. Um, I don't like the fact that the vehicle is so associated with signaling now. 100%. Uh, that, that feels uncomfortable to me. And it was part of the reason why I sold my G-Wagon um, is I just don't want to be signaling everywhere I go. Yeah. Um, so, um, but it is an exceptional vehicle and it needs to be on the list because it still is an exceptional vehicle. It, it, you know, overseas, there's the W464, which is the utility model. I, I just wish that we got something like that. Yep. You know, it's kind of for <clears throat> the German car enthusiasts, that's our equivalent of the 70 series in a sure. lot of ways. But you're right. Um, there's a lot of really, really, really terrible people that drive G-Wagons. Yeah. So you kind of have to be okay with being associated with that even yeah. though you may be buying it for different reasons yeah i loved it when i got mine because nobody knew what it was look yeah look, look like an old montero yeah the, the g-wagon all went wrong when they put the the stupid like led lights below the headlights and you know they kind of changed that with the new one but basic yeah is the way to go with the g totally but this still needs to be on the list. All right. So here's kind of a, a little, a bit of a surpriser for people, but it's based on my own experience driving it. Matt's driven it as well. Number seven is the Jeep Grand Cherokee Trailhawk 4xE. Oh, yeah. Like, it was so surprising. So we had a Range Rover plug-in hybrid at the office. Mm -hmm. And then we also had the Grand Cherokee Trailhawk 4xE in the office. I immediately went for the Range Rover because, you know, Grand Cherokee's kind of, you know, like it's standard. For, it's like it's standard, average. You know, it's yeah. it's average. It's 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 Lots, something that you would expect to get as a rental car. Yeah, I did not expect it to be a better vehicle than the Range Rover. And I mean, the would. Range Rover has little softer seats and it, you know, has more signaling and and whatever. But you know, it had better. It was just better. I think it was just better made. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if, uh, when we've talked about this a little bit before, but if I was not doing the overland thing, if I was, you know, if I just had to have a corporate job and yeah. got to get away on the weekends and drive something every single day, uh, I would absolutely buy the Grand Cherokee 4xE because you can get 35 miles or so, 30 to 35 miles of electric only range, which usually covers your commute, but then you still have you know, rear locking differential, center locking differential, airbag, yeah, adjustable suspension. Yeah. It, it really performs well off-road, yeah. like shockingly good. And there's some nice aftermarket support for the model, including winch mounts and additional skid plates. And um, it has been the surpriser car of the year for me. Uh, there's been a lot of cars I've liked in 2023 because yeah. cars are getting really good. And there, a lot of people are making overland vehicles yeah. now. So our world is really wonderful at the moment, but that has been the absolute standout surprise the, of the, the year. The most underrated vehicle on this list yeah. that people just don't consider. Yeah, right? that's right. Um, yeah. And it also shows how good the rest of the vehicles on this list are as, yeah. we get, as we get closer to one, because the Grand Cherokee Trailhawk, it's exceptional. Yeah. It's very, very good. So yeah, I'm really, really impressed by that. And then, and I like the fact that it's a plug-in hybrid. I'm, I, I'm starting to lean towards plug-in hybrid more than like my en enthusiasm for electric. And it's because I've learned some things about it. I mean, you, you know, it, the content of a four by E, you know, it's the equivalent of making like 30 electric vehicles yeah. when it comes to battery content. And then you never have the range anxiety. So uh, in fact, it was, this was, this is a funny story. So I was driving the Trailhawk and I'm coming back to Prescott. 
And the thing got such great gas mileage and everything. I just forgot about the fact that I needed to put gas in it. <laughs> and I, I ran out of gas. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming down to the on-ramp, uh, the, you know, the off-ramp off of 17 to drive to Prescott. The car loses power, but I'm going downhill. So what happens in a... Oh, it starts to regen. So now the thing shut off because it ran out of gas. But I'm going <laughs> downhill, so I'm regening the whole time. I regen all the way up to the end of the off-ramp, and I put it into electric mode. And I'm like, this thing is never going to let me do this. It did. Yeah. I put it into electric only. Warnings, you know, no, and I made it like the extra 300 meters to the gas station. I, I just... So cool. Plug-in hybrids are really cool. I, I'm personally such a fan of electrification. I, you know, on, on a previous podcast mentioned, I bought a Tesla for my, my yeah. daily, and now it kind of feels like everything's going backwards from that like i I, they're really good like i have carbureted vehicles that i work on myself i like cars i like gasoline i like exceptional you still smell like gasoline today i smell like gasoline and brake cleaner or what was it balancing six individual carbs is um well they're in banks of three but anyway that's another story Um, um for me it's the convenience so yeah my girlfriend tavia has a 4xe wrangler yeah and we plug it in at the end of the day and all of the driving around that we do in the place that she lives, we do it all on electric only. It's just, and then, and then if we want to drive to the sailboat and, you know, go do 200 mile trip or whatever, no big deal. It's got a tank full of gas. Anyway. So it works, it works great. So Grand Cherokee, never did I really think that that would actually like within this list of 10, that might be the one that I actually would put my money down on. I'm I'm not far behind you. Yeah. I'm not far behind. I'm not you. saying that it is, but it would be. It would be really. It would be a definite consideration for me. Yeah. And it's also incredibly handsome. You know, Grand Cherokees have always been been good looking vehicles, but um, this I think it's just really handsome. They're a little more upright grill. I like that. All right. So number six on the list is the Ford Bronco, mm. which is uh, it's a vehicle that Matt loves to hate. Um, I just I don't know why <laughs> I hate the Bronco so much because it's just built like a pile of something that comes out of your body. You think so? I, I think it, it like the chat. Listen, let's. I think let's, it's the dash that's still getting you. It's just cheap plastic. It, it was yeah. just like I I would get into it and I would just think like, mm, they cut some money there. 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 It reminds me of like a 2004 Tacoma. It's like the most yeah. incredibly reliable Gray vehicle. plastic is something that shouldn't be in a vehicle. <laughs> um, the the driveline is phenomenal. The chassis is phenomenal. What they've been able to do with the Bronco Raptor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hoot, but... Um, I didn't really... I mean, the Bronco Raptor was fun. I'm not going to take it away, but the, a 392 Wrangler is way... It's way a more, more refined fun. vehicle as it just, well. It's just better. Yeah. It just, like the, the Raptor uh, Bronco, the, the fenders look like such an afterthought. Oh. And, and the engine isn't like as inspiring as you need it to be at that price point. Yeah. And, and at like that segment. Like but you, it's better than the Pentastar that's in the Wrangler. But it's not better than a 392 Hemi. So <laughs> like that. Like, I mean, that's an ancient lump too, but it's know, a good but ancient it, lump. It, it's like sounds so good. Uh, yeah. But I, I like actually kind of that standard mm. wild track um, Bronco. Just the, you know, where you get the front and rear lockers, you get the sway bar disconnect, which is the best sway bar disconnect I've ever used. It really works well. It's a performer. 
and it's a it's a great performer i actually think they're really attractive looking i like them like even i like them in all the colors which i'm not usually a big fan of a lot of the colors i like them in all the colors i like the you know they're kind of got this bluish gray color that i really like so i would probably build a bronco with some color to i it. think and it's just that's their vibe with that car and then mm-hmm. they put those stupid fenders on it and like as a classic car guy like broncos aren't meant to have fenders yeah. one broncos aren't meant to have the cut rear fender that sure. a lot of rednecks did. Um, but, you know, like it, it, if the vehicle was just a little narrower mm-hmm. and it didn't have those fenders, I think it would look better to me. I yeah. just, I can't get past it. I don't know why. That's okay. I just, yeah. I'm allowed I, to hate what I hate. Of course. Yeah. I mean, hate, I don't know about hate, but you're, I, you're I, allowed to dislike what you like. Yeah. You I, dis- I dislike it. <laughs> but I, I, I do like it. I do like the Bronco. I, it has in some configuration reasonable payload it's it's a comfortable vehicle to drive it's more comfortable to drive than a wrangler yeah. on the highway and on most trail conditions so the where, wrangler the wrangler is ultimately more capable but marginally yeah so. and where the broncos uh, i'm going to call it just like their packaging i know that i hate the fenders but by going with you know, a wider body and a narrower fender than the Wrangler, it's just a better place to spend time in. Yeah. You know, the Wrangler does get a bit cramped after, you know, you spend a month or two in Baja and then you're just kind of like, you know, like start itching the inside of your skin. It's just a little, it's a little small. Yeah. I had my nephew in the 392 this morning and he's like, this is really small. Yeah. It was the first comment that he made. My, my, my head will kind of hit the, the roll bar. Yeah, they're a little, they're a little, com- they're a little compact for sure. So I, li- I like the Bronco. Matt dislikes the Bronco. Um, yeah. But we both agreed that it needed to be on the list because I think I give Ford a lot of credit for making it happen. They do seem to be popular. I'm seeing a lot more of them on the road. And there are some packages, like there's a lot of different there's options on Broncos. So a lot of reasons to like it. Yeah. And like, look at like, do the build thing on the website because there's a lot of unique solutions around that vehicle that don't make them very expensive also. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of upside to the Bronco. I think they even have a, a like a sunglass holder for your white sunglasses. As well. <laughs> and they've clearance for the flat bill cap. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't mean to mean to go so, so sideways on the Bronco. I, I, did. I feel. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. You're like I have the opportunity. So uh, number five on the list is a newcomer. Uh, it's a model that's been around a long time, but uh, no one ever really considered it for overlanding, and that's the Toyota Sequoia. The first gen Toyota Sequoia was actually pretty good for overlanding. The Sequoia it, has always been this silent value yeah it has been especially in the used market yeah for so long it has been associated with it's a soccer mom car like i don't i don't know how else to say it like it was a soccer mom car yeah yeah yeah, it was it still is um you know it's the trendy adventure soccer mom car now but but it's a land cruiser underneath you know it has that same architecture it's made in the united states it looks in my opinion i think it looks better than the land cruiser um it looks great yeah it, it looks good um you know you have the trd pro option which i think is 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 really cool so you get a 33 inch diameter tire yeah. you have five link coil sprung rear suspension yeah. you have a rear locking differential you have a traditional low range transfer case it's a little bit bigger which i think is an advantage in north america yeah and it's got toyota reliability it's you know i don't you know i have 
their hybrid now that i know plug-in hybrids i'm like i'm struggling with just a standard hybrid they don't feel as advantageous to me anymore yeah but um but it's a really really well built solid vehicle that i think works for a lot of families and and we're starting to see a lot of aftermarket support for it yep and yeah it's just it's it's definitely kind of in in a similar way to what we were saying about the grand cherokee kind of sneaking up on that list yeah there's all there's all these vehicles that we're talking about and then there's the ones that are actually practical to purchase yeah and this is one of those vehicles it is it's it it is it it can play it can take the kids to to school it can tow the boat it can tow the boat it can take them to moab you know it doesn't get none of these cars get great fuel economy but it's not terrible with with the hybrid available hybrid system yeah, I, th- I think it's a it's a really great option, and it's it's kind of this underrated nameplate that Toyota has. There's been so much emphasis on Forerunner, Land Cruiser, yeah, and you know the the Sequoia's always been there. It's always had you know either kind of Tundra based at first, yep. and now I mean I guess they're all kind of that global. Yeah, they're platform. all based <laughs> um, on the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really cool, and I think it's attractive, especially yeah. in the white. I really like it in the white. Super handsome. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I've I've driven them off road even in Moab, and I was impressed. Yeah, you know, and at speed they're actually very stable. So I think for if you look at general overlanding, you're having to haul a lot of stuff. Maybe you're bringing your family with you. Maybe you're towing a trailer. Maybe you're not. You know, maybe you're doing a little bit of off road, a little bit of technical, a little bit of high speed, a lot of road miles. Mm. It's kind of a sweet spot. Yeah, uh, in a, in a lot of the same ways that the Grand Grand Cherokee is. Uh, but the Sequoia is, is worth considering now, and it had never been on our list before. And a special thanks to O3 Outdoors for their support of this week's podcast. The world is messy. That's the price every outdoorsman pays for adventure. So when we need to keep things fresh, well, we at O3 Outdoors don't just do things halfway. We turn to the same technology NASA uses to clean the space station, and we bring it down to our own frontier. You know the smells the sweat, smoke, and fuel, smells of a proper adventure, the stuff of a true outdoorsman knows firsthand. Our technology here at O3 Outdoors eliminates bacteria and odors on gear or in your homes and on your vehicles. Our Trekker bags allow you to pack, store, and carry your gear, cleaning it the entire time. Our portable overlander units fit in any vehicle, home, or RV. It's the highest tech, brought to you to the outdoor experience, keeping your gear fresh from one frontier to another. For more information, visit o-3outdoors.com. O3outdoors, go explore. All right, now we're getting into the top four. So mm-hmm. things are getting more and more exciting. So uh, number four is a vehicle that would not normally have ended up on the list this high, but uh to give Jeep a lot of credit, they continue to not just milk the Wrangler, they make the Wrangler better. Like yeah. it just keeps getting, which thank the universe that we are in 2023, almost 2024, and we are, we're able to still buy a solid axle Wrangler mm-hmm. that you can take the top off of. And it's got lockers and it's got sway bar disconnects and it's got factory winches and you know, and you can also get it in 31 flavors. So you can go from yeah. a, a very reasonably priced, like sub $40,000 Wrangler all the way up to $100,000 392. 
and I mean they're not quite a hundred thousand, but the, by a, all, the AEV up at twentieth anniversary, I think was one hundred and twenty. There you go. So, yeah. so th they've they've taken advantage of the full spectrum, which I actually think was a good idea for Wrangler and for Jeep. So um, the there's a couple key improvements that's been happening. We've lost the diesel, which is a little bit of a sad thing, but it seems like that that powertrain has been problematic. Um, the the Pentastar is not problematic. I know that they're going to this new Hurricane straight yeah. six, so that's going to probably be coming out here soon in the Wrangler, I would suspect. Yeah. But the Pentastar is not exciting. Yeah. But it just works. It and does. Like, it does. let's go back 10 years in overlanding. That is exactly what everybody sitting around the campfire would want. Is they yeah. just want that proven, reliable, yep. easy to fix engine. They're just, they just work. They, they, they do. They have good suppliers. You know, it has a, if you get the automatic transmission, it's the ZF eight speed. I've ranted yep. on that. It's a, the only thing that, you know, Rolls Royce and Bentley agree on is that that is a good transmission. Um, it's just, it works. There's no creaks in the thing. You can beat the crap out of it. Yeah. Uh, there's unlimited aftermarket. You can put like an Ursa minor pop top on it, which yep. is to me, if I was to build, you know, obviously like I, I do the earth roamer kind of thing now, but if I wanted a technical, technically capable camper, it'd be a Wrangler with an Ursa minor. Yeah. Like there's, there's zero doubt in my mind that that is one of the best, if not the best setups, you know, one of the most traveled people we know, Dan Greck, you know, that's what he, he did all of Africa in and, um, they're, they're really good. I just don't know how I think, to say. I think Dan's been a great advocate for Wrangler for travel he's done a good job of keeping them lighter, but like his very first trip to South America was in a soft top TJ, TJ, yeah, which is awesome. And then he does Africa in a four door Wrangler Rubicon with a pop top on it, you know, basically cir circumnavigates the continent. He rolled it and then rolled it back over and then kept going. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In exactly. the, I think it was in the Congo. Something crazy like that. Yes, exactly. And then he did all of Australia in the in the Gladiator, and then now he's back in a Wrangler, and he cut the back half of it off, and he put this custom camper on there. It's cool. Like, yeah, it's super cool. It's really going to be neat to see how that ends up. But um, you know, it's it's really easy around a campfire to just focus on. You can only use a Land Cruiser for this stuff, but there are people that are very credible, like Dan, that are reliably using Wranglers mm -hmm. and he's been clear like he's had no mechanical issues with these cars I have trying to think of how many Jeeps I've owned I've yeah, owned like, more Jeeps than anything else for I, sure I'm not a Jeep like I don't think that I'm a Jeep guy but I just like always end up driving or buying Jeeps like I yeah. don't know um yeah they're just they're capable they're kind of fun to drive yeah you know let, let's 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 rag a little bit on the Wrangler because I was so accurate with the Bronco. Um, <laughs> it's small inside, yeah. and you know they do these like the the rear. My biggest gripe with the Wrangler for overland travel is that the roll cage is not squared off in the back. Yeah, because like terrible people put those those angled hard tops on them yeah. so they can just have less space. Um, and it just makes it, it makes things a challenge in the back. Like it, it it's kind of always in the way that very space constrained. Change. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit of a hot topic. I do they need to ditch the removable top? I think 
Well, it's possible. And I think that they're playing with that idea with yeah. this new retractable top. And if I was going to buy a Wrangler and not use it for just use it for fun, I would absolutely get that retractable top. It's on the 392 right I'll now. Th- I haven't I haven't driven one with it. Oh, it's incredible. You, pu- you push a button and the entire top, like almost to the very, very back, certainly aft of mm. the rear passengers, it's open. Yeah. Like a convertible. Is it? They, I, I don't know. I really like them. I, I think the important thing to, to know about the, the JL is that there's the exterior form factor and then mm. there is the, the remaining space, the remaining space inside. Cause it's, you know, it's not a normal vehicle where it would be, you know, boron steel stamped or something. And that would be your actual structure. There's then a redundant, it shouldn't, I shouldn't say redundant. There is a necessary, sec- <laughs> there is a necessary and secondary structure inside of it. Like, like we're both pretty big. I mean, I, I get, I get cramped in that thing. And if you're tall, like you kind of hit your head on the roll cage, yeah. which is like really annoying when you're like doing serious stuff off road. Um, but I don't know. They've made them better overlanders and it's one of the few vehicles you can still get with a manual transmission, yeah. which is also available as a seven speed in the Bronco, but and half doors. Yeah, you can get half doors, you can get a soft top, you can make it super inexpensive if you want. Uh, it still has a solid axle, five link, you know, coil sprung. And they've also, this is the reason why it's moved up the list, is they have finally addressed our concerns around payload. So it is competitive now with a forerunner on payload. You can get over 1,400, so 1,437 pounds of payload is the is the kind of the highest i could see spec'd in the vehicle but that is impressive and you yeah. can get up to five thousand pounds of towing now so and they they achieved that by uh, making the rear axle a full float which is big so it's a big deal it, it significantly improves durability and um it it also just starts to address your concerns around payload yeah a lot of people tow trailers with wranglers because they are space constrained inside. So the fact that you can now get a 5,000 pound tow rating, you have a heavier duty rear axle, you have more payload, which means that tongue weight is now, because tongue weight from a trailer is part of payload. Yep. So if you got a 500 pound tongue weight, you, you've now got you know 700 pounds left for you and your family. Yeah. So um, Wrangler's done a lot of work around I mean, 35% improvement in payload. That's significant. That's significant. I mean, when most companies are going the other direction. Exactly. Yeah. So so that, I was really impressed by that from Jeep. Um, Yeah, they get it. Like they really do get overlanding. You know, they really do. There's people there that must care about it. They've been involved in the the space and in the community for longer um, than most have. They really do care about it. All right. So now we are in the top three. And number three is, I, I know right now, I'm going to hear the screaming and gnashing of teeth, but number three is an electric only SUV. Which is awesome because they're just so much better than internal combustion, ancient <laughs> A-track cassette tape cars. So uh, one of the best vehicles I've ever driven that's an SUV in my life is the Rivian R1S. 100%. It is, it is handsome. It is beautifully designed. It's incredibly comfortable on the inside. It goes like a bat out of hell. I mean, it so blows it fast. It blows the door off a 392 Wrangler. It, it, it blows the doors off of like a GT3. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so it's crazy fast. They've now got some variants that have even more range. 
uh, I took you know, a lot of people focus on the range, but like for North America, I went to literally the most remote point that you can go to in the United States with the R1S. And we did uh, over 150 miles of dirt to get there and to our next destination. And, and, you know, a lot more miles than that to finally get to another charger. But you just can't get that remote where electric is as big as a problem as most people think it is. I think if people were to sit down and look at all the trips that they've done over the last 10 years, yeah. every single one of them can easily be satisfied uh, by, by a Rivian R1S. So, Southern Utah and the Navajo Nation um, is, is that last remaining yep. choke point. And that was where we went. Yeah, We went and we drove right through it. We drove right through. The, there's a video on YouTube where we took uh, the R1S to the most remote point in the continuous uh, 48 states and it did it it was like just not a big deal uh, not a lot of range anxiety work so great. and e the advantage that the evs have off-road that people are finally now learning is that that they they have the regen capability yeah so when we climbed up to the top of 50 mile bench um to, to get to this most remote point we used a lot of electricity to do that you would use a lot of fuel to do that mm -hmm. because you're going to get low fuel economy when you're climbing yeah. a steep climb. But when I turned around and I went back down those switchbacks, I got to regen the entire time. Yeah. So I get, I not only, I ended up with more miles, not, not overall, but then if I had just, you know, let a, let, let a gasoline engine, you I, know, idle down. It. I, I do. Yeah. I just, it, here's my thing with electric cars is that, and I, and I believe that anybody who has, who owns one or drives one, will will resonate with this there's just they're just so much simpler yeah. right uh, uh due to modern emissions requirements which are overall a positive thing the internal combustion engine is choked up clogged and very very complicated yeah you know you have uh, exhaust gas recirculation you've got catalytic converters you've got you know all Def, of these you got death or whatever the diesels yeah, yeah. Regen, you know, everything. You else. have yeah. all of these like very complicated systems. You have all of these different sensors that can now fail to optimize the engine. You have fuel injectors. You have all of the moving components, components on the the valve train, the, the drive train, the transmission, the the all of these things that just kind of go away. Yeah, and well, they do of, go away. They do go away. You have and, one fluid that you top off in your in your uh, Tesla, yeah. the, the washer fluid of the yeah, windshield Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's like there's one, one fluid, you know? And they're just going to get better. I mean, Toyota just announced 700-mile range, 10-minute ten, ten charging. So it's just going to keep, the technology is going to get there. And, and for us, we're not advocating for EVs. I'm just saying that. I am. <laughs> well, I'm not. Personally. I'm, yeah, I'm really not advocating. I don't think that we're at the point where I want to advocate for them. I just want to say that the Rivian R1S is one of the best SUVs I've ever driven, no matter the engine. It's the only so. car that we've had on test that I've actually just sat down in my driveway and just like looked at how the suspension worked. Yeah. And you can tell that that suspension came from McLaren engineers. That's right. It's really good. Really good. Um, it genuinely it handles phenomenally. Yeah. You know, the, the, user interface is so great like this is where the electric car companies are really winning self-leveling in camp you got your roof tent on the top of it or you're sleeping in the back push a button yeah self-levels the car it's well, great the car drives beautifully like genuinely yeah thank you for letting me drive my first 
Tesla ever. That was awesome. They're just kooky. Like they work, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I got no hate for it at all. Okay, so now we are into the top two. And, uh, you know, this is interesting because the one has been around forever and the other one just arrived. So it would be, it's, it would seem like it would be um, like an impulse to put the Grenadier as number one on the list. But I don't think that it's quite there yet. And, and that's because even though I have a lot of affection for the vehicle, I've been driving it from Cape Town on my way up to London. Uh, the vehicle, I've done 20,000 kilometers with the vehicle. I've not had a single failure. It has exceeded my expectations in, in most regards. Um, no no uh, reliability issues with the vehicle. And that was a press car before. It was. And didn't it go to like Kazakhstan or something? It, it, was, it was slated to go to Mongolia, oh, but Mongolia. they actually yeah, pulled it so that way we could do the, the Trans-Africa trip. But you know, we've talked about this before, but we're not being paid by Grenadier to do this. They've loaned us a, a press vehicle, just like any other company would do that. Um, and we're not being compensated in any way. We're paying for all of the expenses of the trip on our own. And I'm free to speak clearly about the vehicle. And it is for North America. It's the only thing that we have right now that is literally made specifically to do overland travel. So it has 1800 plus pound payload, triple locked available factory winch, um, you know, solid axles, you know, low range transfer case, square body. We talk about the Wrangler in interior space. The Grenadier has a ton of interior space. Even you know, though the form factor is not that different size wise. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. Uh, very similar wheelbase even. So um, the Grenadier is, it's the first time we've ever had a car company start specifically for overlanders because mm. Sir Jim Radcliffe is an overlander himself. So he wanted to build his own car and he did. And, and uh, it is really good. And, but it is still too early. We have to really be always guarding our, our audience and it just needs a little bit more time. I need to finish my trip with it and have my final conclusions around it. Um, and also the number one vehicle is a serious contender still. So yeah. it would be hard to make the argument one way or the other. You could, you could say this is number one or this is number two. Uh, but there's reasons why we have a number I, one. I I'm, I'm really excited about the Grenadier. I, I have to say that I did put a deposit down on one. I didn't follow through with it, but the reality is, is that we don't live in a, in a large city. Yeah. So there's a risk to buying a, a, a new vehicle from a new manufacturer that yeah. doesn't have a, a real established service network. Um, I have confidence that they will sort all of those things. For sure. But the Grenadier to me is, um, I, I see a lot of parallels to, to Lotus, right? Yeah. If you want to buy a very purpose-built sports car, we're not talking supercar. We're not talking muscle car. We're talking about a car that is for the enjoyment of driving and is phenomenal on the track, phenomenal on the road. It's purpose built. Yeah. Right? There's so many parallels between Lotus and Ineos, in my yeah, opinion. Interesting. I, in fact, that's their tagline, built on purpose. Yeah. I, I want it to do really well. Yeah. The reason why we're enthusiastic about it, the reason why we're testing it, is it's the first time we've ever had a car company made specifically for us. Yeah. So we want to give them all the support that we can. We want to really understand the vehicle. We want them to be successful because, you know, as overlanders, we need choice. Yeah. It, it shouldn't always be, you know, a defender. It shouldn't always be a land cruiser. And, and it competition's be, good. Right? It is really you good. Know, it's uh, important. Think of Bronco Wrangler. I am so excited for what's coming with 
yeah the wrangler i know that um from talking to designers friends at jeep they have basically said we've had the handcuffs taken off yeah because there's a lot of ways that the bronco is better than the wrangler but now we have this vehicle that can be pinnacle for overlanding yeah what is that going to then do as that becomes a larger and larger market what does that then do where does everybody else respond and it's that rising tide raises all ships concept that's right um yeah i i i I wish them the best and yeah that we we want them to be successful a hydrogen one yeah that's right like and they're talking about battery electric they're talking about all kinds of things there's been press releases come out on all kinds of different ideas and they are coming out with their quartermaster which is a four-door pickup so a bucky style truck that's going to be coming out here in north america soon so they're really working hard to make vehicles that we want and we want them to have as much chance for success as possible mm-hmm. so um, we're enthusiastic um, i do like the vehicle i have really enjoyed driving it i have certainly come to love it uh, because it's been kind of my magic carpet through through africa so i'm really really grateful for that the vehicle that's made for us specifically for overlanding um and it's number two on the list so now we get to go to number one Ooh, yeah um so here's what i want to say about number one is we talk a lot about gear we talk a lot about trucks but overlanding is not about light bars and all of the new crap that it has become in north america yep. it is about travel that's right so when we think of the best vehicles for overlanding we're thinking of things that are proven it this this choice is not exciting like i think it is i think it's i think it's outdated. it's still handsome. i think it's outdated i think it's boring i think maybe it's a little boring I yeah don't know. maybe it's, it's just it was good when it came out yeah but it's very proven it's very very reliable there's a lot of support for it in the aftermarket it's the cheapest car you can buy it's one of the cheapest cars you can buy one not of the cheapest not cars purchase price but ownership cost of ownership cost of ownership um and the number one overland suv is the toyota (laughs) forerunner that's right and it's available in trail edition you can get kdss you can get rear locking differential it has a reasonable payload some models get up over 1500 pounds of payload so it has a real payload so if you think about buying and they are still everywhere everybody i mean you see a ton of them driving they just work they're like you know they're a slightly more off-road subaru for most people right they have a little bit <laughs> that could more be. room yeah, yeah. That, that could be um you know it's 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 a great choice it's very reliable it's it's ancient in all of the good ways yeah yeah and 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 there's nothing about it that is like a risk yeah. like because some vehicles get they're old enough where it's like wow that's that's really the only real standout negative for me is the fuel economy compared to a lot of the other vehicles on the on the list. But it's almost equivalent to the Grenadier, so it, they're pretty much the same it, fuel economy. Yeah, the, as I previously mentioned, the one I owned horrible fuel economy. Yeah. I mean, like we're we're talking within you know like maybe half a mile to the gallon of my Earth Roamer. Yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> once, like realistically, once you outfit yeah. that, that vehicle. Forerunners really lend themselves to being kept as close to stock as possible. They're extremely capable in stock form for most overland travel, um, but they are, they're ready to be of service to you daily Forever. commute. I saw that this is one of the best memes I've ever seen. 
you know, every once in a while, social media gets a win. But they were it, the meme said uh, the the 1996 to 2001 Forerunner has been recalled because it's time for you to buy a new car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it, they literally last forever. It's everything that you want from the Land Cruiser. Yes. In a more practical, affordable package. That's right. That's right. And that's why it's number one, because of, of anything, if your focus is pure travel of all of the vehicles that are on this list that you can recommend, you know, to loved ones, to yes. good friends, to people you actually care about, yeah. it's probably, if you recommend the forerunner to them. But with, you did them a with, solid. <laughs> with almost, with utmost certainty, they're probably not going to have any issues. Yeah. And they're going to be happy with it and they're going to be able to resell it for a reasonable amount of money. They can, they can aftermarket, upfit it to whatever mild or wild that they want it to be. Yeah. And they can make it by, by that. You mean they can make it less reliable. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You gotta, yeah, there's really not a lot of reason to be modifying yeah. these forerunners as much as we see, we see them way overdone. Yeah. Uh, and that's because I think they're trying to get away from it being boring. Uh, when they need to embrace the fact that this is an incredible tool for the job of travel. Yeah. You know, and, and it'll, who knows how much longer it's going to be around. Will the new Land Cruiser 250, will it replace the forerunner? Will the forerunner sunset or will it be the new 250 Land Cruiser? I think, you know, it's a mild hybrid. It's got some, it's a little bit more complicated. It's a little less proven. Yeah. But that, that vehicle has the potential to be number one on our list the next time we do this absolutely and it's going to be affordable an affordable land cruiser with toyota capability and reliability so that is our top 10 new overland suvs list uh so matt i gotta ask you though um if you were to buy one and it'd be your daily driver tomorrow for mostly north america travel what would it be g-wagon G-Wagon, G-Wagon. No okay. doubt. So if you were to... But it would have to be like really dirty and scratched. <laughs> That's and cool. Like, like... That's cool. I don't know. It would, it would just like... The tan, the tan color is pretty good. Yeah, which with is the like rack a, and stuff. Which is like a $17,000 Dizino option. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, okay. it, it, would, it would be a G because I just like it. Yeah. And I'm allowed to like what I like. Yeah, you get, you're getting to pick right now. Yeah. So what would if be you, for you? Okay, so if it was for me, if it was for North America, ooh, it would probably be that Rivian R1S. You know, I, I, if I wasn't in this industry and I was just driving to work every day, it'd be the Grand Cherokee. Mm. I really like that car. Yeah. Like, it's the most impressive car, like car I've driven yeah. in a long time. Like, the breadth of capability is really good. I would probably uh, pick the Rivian R1S for North mm-hmm. America. Cause I really, really like it. Yeah. It's, it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that it doesn't exist, but they're going to be doing an, a, a, an electric G. Oh, and that just, <laughs> is that, that, that's appealing to you getting a little, a little, <laughs> get a little hot and bothered by the concept of that <laughs> an electric bank vault. Um, yeah. Anyways, I think that with any of these vehicles that we've listed, well, we got one more question though. Oh, okay. So if you were to pick, if you were ready to leave tomorrow to drive to Ushuaia and then ship to South America, South Africa and drive up the length of Africa, which on this list would you pick? G-Wagon. Because <laughs> I want to drive it. I know. I'm a, I got I'm a car it. guy. I got it. Right. And I, I wouldn't it. have to modify it. You know, I, I do the professional package. Yeah. Uh, you know, it comes with a Falcon all-terrain tire already. And those are good, good Falcon tires. And, uh, 
yeah that that's that's personally what i would do because because there are dictators crooks thieves (laughs) and people stealing from your 401k in every country on the planet and they drive g-wagons and i could get it fixed (laughs) and they probably would move out of your way like you probably wouldn't get hassled (laughs) because they'd be like who is this guy what russian mobster is this guy coming up right here right now so uh i think for me if i was to drive uh pick a vehicle to go and leave and drive around the world uh, i i would I think I would pick the Grenadier yeah. because it has really served me so well on this trip. Um, I would want to be back in that vehicle to do all of those miles because it, for me, for Scott Brady, it, it just ticks all the box. It's got that G wagon feel to it that I love. It's a better choice than my choice. No, it's not a better no, choice. It's, it's a, it's a Scotty choice. It's it, which is why it's a better choice, but um, <laughs> it's really cool to go on the Grenadier website and to build out your vehicle because yeah. you're you're kind of you can get sticker shock but then you realize oh wow like i i could legitimately buy this vehicle and outfit this vehicle and not have to do anything Nothing. to drive around the world yeah that's what and that's Tool what i battery, did battery done auxiliary system done <laughs> yeah. roof rack done winch Awning, done winch done bumpers yeah. done. like everything is high done. capacity suspension all of it so you've made the right choice <laughs> Uh, i'm just see you're a better person than me that is not true matt so like i'm i'm a little bit so i would have to be a g-wagon guy okay i gotcha i gotcha you'd be right up there with the dictators hanging out yeah yeah, i like it i like it yeah so the vehicle that i would drive around the world would be the grenadier but the vehicle i would recommend my sister drive around the world would be a (laughs) forerunner that's right exactly so This was fun, Matt. Thanks for taking the time. We thank you all for listening. We appreciate all of you as listeners. If you want to reach out and tell us what your number one on this list would be, even if it's not on the list at all, uh, please reach out and let us know. We'll make sure to to mention it in a in a future podcast. But you can reach Matt at Matt Explore on Instagram on Instagram, and you can reach me at Scott A Brady on Instagram. And I'd love to hear what your number one is and why, not just what you would pick, but why you would pick Mm. it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next time.